Jerry West was a kid in West Virginia, not without challenges and pain, looking to the top of the Blue Ridge Mountains, wondering what was on the other side. And the people who find a way to get through that wall are gonna to get to the top of the mountain. But once you get to the top of the mountain, it's dangerous. As the number two pick in the 1960 NBA draft, Jerry was now playing for Jack Kent Cook. Cook had recently acquired the Lakers franchise. Pulitzer Prize winning sports writer Jim Murray described Cook as brash, assertive, and a megalomaniac. And that was his good side. The Canadian-born Cook found himself in a dispute with the commission that ran the sports arena. So he purchased land in Inglewood, right near LAX, and he built his own arena, evoking the imagery of the Roman Forum. He changed the colors of the Lakers from blue and white to purple and yellow, colors which he referred to as Forum Blue and Gold. By 1967, the fabulous Forum was ready for business. The Forum's now a music-only venue, but for over 30 years, it was the greatest of all sports arenas. This place was exciting. Hollywood celebrities were attending games. Then in 1968, the Lakers acquired Wilt Chamberlain. The Lakers with West, Baylor, and now the Big Dipper became the sports franchise of Los Angeles. But then two more excruciating NBA final losses to the Celtics happened in 68 and 69, despite heroic performances by West. In fact, Jerry was the MVP of the 69 NBA series, despite yet again being on the losing team. Wes is the only player ever to be an MVP from a second place team in both the NCAA tournament and the NBA finals. In 1970, the Lakers lost in the finals again, this time in seven games to the New York Knicks. Wait, what? Yep, the Knicks used to be really good, like, 50 years ago. 1971-72 would be different. Bill Sharman was the new coach and he adjusted the players' roles. West would lead the NBA in assists that year, dropping 10 dimes a game while still scoring 25 points per game. Four, three, two, two. it's over! <laughs> you can see that coming, you know he's gonna get the two. Oh yeah, when the fabulous form hosted the NBA All-Star Game at midseason, who do you think made the game-winning shot and took home the MVP trophy? West. Jerry West. For West. For a man named West wins it for the West. Final score. The West, 112. The East, 110. From the Forum in Los Angeles, California. The Lakers would then go on to win an NBA record of 33 games in a row. They compiled another record with a 69 and 13 regular season mark, stormed their way into the NBA Finals, where this time they would win it all. They easily dispatched the New York Knicks in five games. After 12 years in the league and seven losses in the NBA Finals, Jerry West ran off the court at the fabulous forum, an NBA champion. West retired in 1974, then he coached the Lakers with success and ultimately became the general manager. 
Wes assembled the Showtime Lakers, led by Magic and Cream, that won five NBA championships. Then in 1996, he had the greatest summer of any executive in NBA history. That summer, he signed Shaq and drafted Kobe, setting the Lakers up for five more championships. By 2000, the Lakers had moved back to downtown LA, setting up shop at Staples Center. West left the Lakers in 2002 and went to work for the Memphis Grizzlies, turning them into a playoff team. In 2011, he moved to the Golden State Warriors, and by 2015, they were the NBA champions. He joined the LA Clippers in 2017 and has set them on a path towards an NBA title. It is hard to think of any one person who has achieved as much as Jerry West has in the sport of basketball. He won the West Virginia High School State Championship, took the West Virginia University Mountaineers to the NCAA Finals, won a gold medal in Rome, and led the Lakers to nine NBA Finals in 14 years. Taking into account West play from high school to college, through the Olympics and the pros, he averaged an astounding 25 points per game while often ranking among team leaders in rebounds, assists, steals, and block shots. A collegiate and professional Hall of Fame inductee, his statue proudly stands outside Staples Center and his number 44 hangs from the rafters. And his image became the logo of the NBA. He's among the most respected players and executives in the history of sports. This kid from West Virginia wondered what was over the mountain and look what he's accomplished. Venice, California-born, Los Angeles-based sports fan. One that has played, coached, announced, and promoted sports my whole life. My love affair with sports started in my own backyard and has led me to this podcast. Thanks to the support of the Amateur Athletic Union in East Bay, I'm excited to bring you Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. This is our fourth and final episode with basketball legend Jerry West. Please note, this interview was recorded on November 9th, 2020. Between you and Baylor, you had that, you had these, you know, two dynamic players, but then Chick Hearn really helped ingratiate the Lakers. In, and I, I felt like that helped you move off the back page a little bit because he was so unique in, in his description of the game. Yeah, he did. Uh, he was. Uh, he was, uh, he was a huge um piece of the growth of the Laker franchise. And in some respects, he was more popular, I guess, very much like Ben Scully. Yeah. More popular than the players. Um, you know, a lot of nicknames, a lot of <laughs> chickisms, and, uh, you know, he'd always say on the air, he said, in my unbiased way, and I told him one night, they had, a, they had kind of a, a dinner for him, they asked me to say something. And I said, this is the most unbiased, biased person I've ever met, <laughs> which he was. Yes, <laughs> he was. Uh, Will Chamberlain uh, was another person I used to pretend like I was in my own backyard or when I was shooting on a hoop. I was always fascinated by him. And I got to imagine um, that was uh, that had to be a, a fun time for you. Did he remember meeting you at all in Kansas? 
And no, then, no, no, I didn't go to Kansas. I no, I thought you went on a trip there? No, I did no. not go. I oh. went to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Oh, I see. Okay, to meet okay. the coach. I thought uh, I said that. Oh, but, yeah, I might, have, I might have messed that one up. Okay. Well, you, I, I probably did. <laughs> but um, okay. any, anyway, um, it was a unique time for me. And uh, uh, I, again, the only time I was associated with him when he came to the Lakers. Uh, as I mentioned, players, you know, you didn't associate with other players and other teams in because of the way the schedule was devised, the traveling, which was, you know, which was, you play, a lot of nights we played three nights in a row a lot. A lot. And you had to take the first available plane out mm. after the game. And uh, you didn't get a lot of sleep, but I've never been a huge sleeper in my life anyways. Mm. So. I was uh, fortunate. Um, my godfather I was friends with Bill Sharman. Yes. And he would uh, take me along to Loyola when you guys used to practice there. And I would just sit sit there and get to watch you guys practice. I'd, you'd go get water. I'd, you know, go shoot around a little bit. Hope one of you guys would throw me the ball back. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that was that was a great time for me. And I, I'd go back to um, Bill Sharman's place in the Marina Del Rey and get to hang out in his trophy room. And I realized, you know, he, what a great athlete he was. Because, you know, I didn't have that perspective on him. Um, but I just wondered if you could tell me a little bit about Bill Sherman because I knew him a little bit later in life, and he just seemed like such a gentleman and such a nice well, person. Well, he really nice, uh, a nice person, a great competitor. He was a dirty player, and he still <laughs> he still denies it to this day. They played for the Celtics. I think he was one of the notorious fighters in our league. Okay, <laughs> is that right? And when he was young, he was he was a boxer. Okay, when he was young, okay. most people didn't know that. But there was a guy by the name of Andy Phillips. I think one year they got in eight fights, okay? but <laughs> Those two? Oh, yeah, those they two. And this was before my time in the league. <laughs> but um, Bill was a tough guy, great competitor. Uh, he was really a uniquely nice man. Yeah. I don't know anyone could ever say anything bad about him. And is it true? I mean, there's a legend has it that that's when he lost his voice was that 72 season. And did you guys see that coming? I mean, could you hear that coming, rather? Or was that uh, something that happened after the season was over? Well, you know, I think that, it, it, you know, it's really, sometimes you get teams together that you really don't have to say very much. They mm-hmm. just sort of fit together. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you throw the ball over there and you know you know the person's going to be there. Uh, sure. It just, you're like tied together. Mentally, mm-hmm. you're tied together. And that was one of those teams that could do that. The only bad thing about it was just too old. To can you know to perpetuate itself for any length of time, but it was sad for me um, uh, when he got that way, and uh, yeah. he got to the point where he had this megaphone where he's trying to, you know, to uh, uh, mm. to I guess make his voice louder. Uh, but it was a uh, a sad time for me because I became really good friends with him. Yeah. Other than the fact that he was my coach, I just liked him personally. Yeah, um, you had uh, if okay. So I watched a fair amount of replays to get a perspective from now of you playing, and it seems to me that you had had a much higher scoring total had the three point line been in play. But you obviously didn't have that in your mind then because it wasn't a thing. But it was a thing in the ABA, so we're, you're probably aware that there's a three point line. Well, and that was after, yes, but that, that was after I started. It was? Stop playing, okay. yes. And, uh, you know, I think the consolidation of the two leagues at that point in time is what you see in the NBA today. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I would tell you, they had some great things that would, I think, uh, um, that really helped the NBA. The three-point line. I think line, so, too. 
made it a more attractive game. Um, there were some players that didn't get drafted at that point in time that uh, belonged in the league. Yeah. And uh, when they were assimilated into the NBA, uh, it's start of the modern day game as we see it. Um, yeah. I often wondered because they had a red, white, and blue basketball. <laughs> I often wondered. I thought that was really kind of cool visually to see. So did I. Um, <laughs> I often wondered why they didn't do that. Yeah. Um, but they took. They should have took that over with it. Now it would look weird. Okay. It, it would, but you know they did it in volleyball. You know, there's a lot of uh, multi you know, national organizations that actually use the red, white, and blue ball in volleyball to enhance oh, yeah. that. Well, and it's interesting how the vision uh, can play out. When um, you were playing, you had that uh, unique way of getting your jumper off, and it would come. And I, I you know, would tell everybody, I go, "You got to watch tape on Jerry West. It's going to go bam, bam, and it's up, and it's up, and it's high, and it's gone before you can really play defense." It would seem like most of the league knew this was coming, but you still were able to get your shot off all the time. What, what, you know, tell me the how you uniquely brought that into your game well one of the most important things in shooting is to use your legs okay mm -hmm. and a lot of times people that last hard dribble makes you set okay it makes you set and by doing that you automatically use your leg and the mm. other the other thing <clears throat> the other thing is is that i used to practice out in college all the time i scratch myself I have still a couple scratch marks on my face because I wanted to get it up here. Oh, wow. And by doing it, you have to, you really have to practice that because if you don't practice correctly, you can, and, and you know, the one quick motion where you, everything mm -hmm. in shooting is a lever anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, but I practiced that a lot when I was in college. And um, it was just something that came natural for me. I, you know, if, the other thing is to, Learn to shoot the ball different heights with bigger yeah. people on you. And you did that by just a different release point. But those are things I played around with uh, growing up. And um, I wish I'd had all the tools then and uh, the time uh, to have <clears throat> places to go practice. You couldn't do that even in yeah, college. Yeah, what was your off seasons like in high school and college where you, you just would shoot by yourself on a hoop? Well, as I say, and had no one there with you. When I was going to one. when I was going to school, I would because I had no nothing to do at home, uh, uh, no opportunity to make any extra money. So mm -hmm. I worked at the university. I had to work for the buildings and grounds. I think we made like two fifty or three fifty <laughs> an hour. And there's sometimes that I was in charge of watching the gymnasium, but it was so hot in there, <laughs> hot and humid. Still you'd go in there and you'd shoot for 15 minutes. And the worst part of it was if you would miss, and particularly if you're shooting one side of the basket, <laughs> and you'd miss, uh, I would deliberately, if I were going to miss it, I didn't want to miss it long because I had a long run. <laughs> so, <laughs> so actually, it was a drill that really helped me shoot and follow the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't see very many players do that today. I, I would agree. We with don't that. see that, that and that like really was a drill that shoot and follow the ball because you're the one who knows it's going to miss, and particularly if you're a good shooter. If you're a bad shooter, you'd be running all over the place and never you'd be dead after about 20 minutes of shooting. Coach Wooden, uh, I think um, I, that just kind of reminded me uh, of that when you when you said shoot and follow the ball because he always felt like about crashing the boards. And and he, he you know and his players did that well but I when what was was your relationship more concurrent to when you were 
uh, still playing for the Lakers, or did you know Coach Wooden after you had, had kind of retired and moved towards coaching? No, I used to have lunch with him often in Westwood, a little drugstore over there. My yeah. la- his friend and the late my late late friend Hollis Johnson. Uh, we used to go to this little drugstore there, and he had a drug counter, and we'd go in back and we would eat. We'd have these little tiny, not stools, but they were actually. Um, boxes okay that fruit and stuff came in and he had this little table there and and i used to have the same thing every day what Uh, was it a turkey sandwich uh with um uh with a cup of chicken noodle soup okay and john i forget what he would order but that was usually a lot that was most of the time on the day of the game okay and i got to the point where i hardly ate uh day of the game Mm. i just couldn't eat i'd get sick before the games and didn't want to be throwing up all over the place. Yeah. Too much, too much adrenaline. Right yeah, too much going. But John was a unique man. He was, yeah. he was more than a basketball coach. He was yeah, kind he of was. a life teacher. Um, yeah. Someone I had great respect for. And um, I remember one time we were playing UCLA in college here in Los Angeles in a Christmas turn, tournament. Oh, okay. And uh, UCLA had a good team, and and uh, at West Virginia we had one of the best teams in the country. And I'll never forget. I never said a word to officials, never. And it was at the sports arena. It's my mm-hmm. first experience playing there. And little did I know that my professional career would, would was going to go there. But what was funny about it is that I made a layup, and I this guy hit me in midair, and I ended up on the concrete floor. They didn't have any padding or a bunch right. of people there to catch you. And I was running back. Uh, sort of walking back because the ball went went through the net and it bounced away. And I said to the official, I think you missed that call. And John John said to me, he says, young man, you're too good to complain. <laughs> and I, I said something to him that I can't repeat. Okay. Okay. On this on this program. Yes. And I wonder. I used to wonder all the time. Did he remember that one incident? I got a feeling it did. wasn't a good word. I got a feeling okay. he did. <laughs> I got a feeling he remembered. He has a good memory. Yeah, uh, he had a great memory. <laughs> I, um, I, I forget if you don't mind. It just always cracks me up. Um, I think you're sitting in his condo or something, and you're looking at his championship teams up there, and mm-hmm. he's trying to console you. Uh, you know, he said, "Do you always take all the credit when you win? You know, because you, you seem to take a lot of the blame when you lose." And he said something to the effect. <laughs> I'm not forget what I said. So I think you said something like, I don't see any of your second-place teams up on the wall. Coach. <laughs> <laughs> that one cracked me up. And he he goes, did, you know what? He, did, he didn't lose very much, okay? <laughs> and I'm always, you know, one of the things that's, that's really interesting in life, when people win all the time, people expect them to win all the time. Yeah. They expect them to win. And I think you really find the true character of someone when they lose. I've always said the best stories are not in winning life. Mm-hmm. The struggle, um, the heartbreak, the yeah, I think the so. little things that go on. Uh, there's more great stories in a losing locker room than there is in a winning locker room, by yeah, far. I think so. There's um three things I think were kind of underrated. Um, your defense, I I've always appreciated it. I always thought it was excellent, and your ability to adapt in the game. The fact that you led the league in assists um, in like think '72 or something. You adapted your game for the best part of, of what it'll be. And I also thought you were underrated as a coach. I didn't think the Lakers had a great roster when you took over, um, but we you had found a, terrible, a way. We had a, yeah. not a great roster. Yeah. A roster with one great player, Abdul-Jabbar. That was it. And uh, probably 
the most enjoyment I ever got there. They hadn't made the playoff for three years with Bill as a coach, and and uh, and I said to our players, uh, and Bill wanted to play a fast game. I said we can't play a fast game and win. I said we have to play a defensive Get the game. Ball the and he he was Kareem just carried his team offensively. We won more game than anyone in the league my first year as a coach. Yeah, I should have stopped there for one <laughs> no for, for one reason. We had another good year. Yeah. Uh, we had a really good year the second year with a bunch of injuries. And the reason I should have stopped there was I wasn't fit to be a coach. I really wasn't for one reason. I expected players in the most awkward time this NBA had ever gone through. A lot of problems with players off the court. That was an court. awkward time, huh? It was horrible, yeah. as it was all over the world. And yeah. I expected players to be like me in terms of just playing the game uh, off the court. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. take care of yourself. Uh, that was a problem for the league, man. And I should have walked away after my second year. But uh, I had two men, uh, Jack McCloskey and Stan Allback, uh, who yeah. were unbelievably Im- important nights. for me. Um, managing games wasn't hard for me. That wasn't a hard part. Um, I could tell you how to play defense because that's the only thing that I felt that I knew. Scoring offensively, I I never really felt, and this is not braggadocious, I never felt that I needed an offense to score. I, I felt I could score pretty much or get a good shot when and I wanted to. Or something. And so you have to understand that Abdul-Jabbar, you could run anything for him. He's still going to score. But you also had to put him in a position where everyone wasn't ganging up on him. And he was just one of those incredible play, uh, players that no one ever talked about I, when they're talking about I, greatness I, as a player. That, you and I agree on this 100%. And it, I always stand up for him. He should be in the conversation. Any conversation you have about the greatest players, he should be right there. He sure he, should. He, the, the object of the game is to score more points. He scored the most points by far. And he's um, he look at his success all the way through his life, too, from <laughs> high school to college. And then well, in the he NBA, was, he's been, unbelievable. You know what? I, I think that he made the game look so easy. But mm. but again, he was one of those guys that never talked about how he played. He never he never come he, he never patted himself on the back. Uh, you know, he's brilliant, smart. Uh, he's someone I greatly admire. I really do. I think um, I and I compare him on some levels to you as far as a post playing career. Um, I think your post playing even coaching career has been remarkable. And so is his, and his continues to be with his, the books he's written, op-ed pieces he writes. He's a great thinker. Um, I, I compared like going and watching basketball and trying to evaluate who's the best player and stuff like there. With if I, if I were to take you to a game, be like taking a you know a Monet or something to an art gallery, they're going to see something totally different than what I see. And I'm just curious, um, what are those, or can you? Can you put your finger on what those things are that you see about a player during these workouts that, that you think is different? What are, what are the different things you look for? I know like long arms, you're talking about long fingers, you're talking about different things, but I'm just curious, what is it that, that catches you? Well, the greatest skill that anyone can have, the greatest skill, is a work ethic. Mm. And some players can't play an 82-game schedule. They can't do it. And uh, the other thing is, is that um, is that some people you just they're so uniquely skilled and it, it's effortless looking. It doesn't look like it's 
look like it's easy for them. And those are the things that stand out most to me. The shooting part of it, you can see it. Uh, can a guy, does he have the skill? Does he have the quickness? Does he have the anticipation? All those factors go into it, but, um, and confidence. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not talking about false confidence. I'm mm-hmm. not talking about someone, I can do this, I can do that. I watch these, a lot of kids get drafted today, and you know, it's like almost a storyboard of how, <laughs> what they're going to do. And they're, they're coached, of course. And then you see some kids that leave school early that have no careers, and you feel sorry for them. Yeah. You feel sorry for them yeah. because they've been pushed into the draft when one year more year in school might have made all the difference in the world for them being successful and basically a failure. Um, I think uh, there, there's one thing I want to ask you about. Uh, I, I think that's a well-told story about the Kobe workout and so forth. But I was wondering um, if there's anybody else you, sh- you in effect, f- felt like that for and in effect, shut down a workout. I know Sonny Vaccaro would say, "I got to. I'm going to shut down this. I'm going to do a Jerry West and shut down the workout because I don't want him to know I'm interested, or something." Anybody else you um you felt like, okay, I got to no, go. I got to go make a deal. Just, you know, every once in a while you see a unique player, yeah. okay, and he was truly unique at an early age. Very, very skilled. Uh, the obviously thing he needed was schooling and learning how to play in a system, and that wasn't uh, that wasn't his. Uh, uh, that yeah. wasn't what it was going to be early for him. He needed a, a chance to play the game unencumbered with uh, Eddie Jones around, who I personally talked to Jerry Buss about and said, we need to trade him because we cannot let Kobe Bryant sit on the bench anymore. Mm-hmm. And he agreed, and we did that, and his career took off, and uh, he became the player that um, yeah. that people admire so dearly around the world. Um, I just want to give you credit. I think Vlade Divac was one of the first foreign players that was identified and brought in, and never did I get a kick out of that guy more than watching Jim Hill um, interview him after while he was having a smoke with a shirt out in the locker room. And I thought, who is this? And the guy could pass like nobody else. And he played the big man game. Well, he was good. He was really good. You know, he was at times, I think he paid a little bit more attention to his to his. Um, um, conditioning and took it a lot more serious. He's just a natural player. And um, uh, he, he, yeah. he's a great guy, too, on top of it. The, um, I got a few questions I want to ask you at the end, but I didn't want to – I wanted to cover something. Wilson ball's coming back instead of the Spalding um, ball. And I think you played probably with the Wilson most of your career. I have no idea. It's a round uh. ball. It's going to have <laughs> – it's going to have some sort of curvature to it. Um, it won't make any difference in the okay. world because there's certain specifications, and it's all about money. Yeah, it's a short turnaround for the players. I thought that was interesting. It won't make any difference. Um, I know the difference. You uh, tell me about golf. What do you like about golf? That or what challenges you that keeps you coming back in golf? Uh, get away from my wife and I'll. <laughs> Just as just as most, you know. Actually, I, I have a group of older people that I really enjoy being around, and and uh, it's a lot of camaraderie, a lot of kidding, a lot of uh, yeah. nasty words uh, that are locker room words. Okay, yeah. um, that that are truly locker room words, <laughs> and uh, I enjoy the camaraderie. Okay, uh, I don't nice. yeah. I don't play very often. I only play with a group, one group of guys, and that's it. I'll be sure to cover the. I think you held the course record at some place, which is nice. And I was kind of wondering if you knew you were closing in on the course record at Hillcrest or somewhere. 
Did you even know that? Was it a memory in your no, mind? No, that was years ago. I can't remember. <laughs> okay. I used to I used to shoot some low scores. Yes, I did. Uh, your daughter-in-law, Michelle Wee, mm-hmm. um, do you, I would imagine you played with her. And um, have you learned anything from her approach to the game? I, I know she's really good. I'm mean, going to tell you that. She <laughs> yeah, I just, so. She played with Steph Curry, my son Johnny, who is his wife, yeah. and another good golfer. And, and 7,400-yard course just a couple of days ago. She shot, I think, 75 or 76 Yikes. from 7,400 yards. And she hasn't wow. played any. She has that bad injury. And she beat everybody by a bunch of strokes, okay? And it's a hard course. And she wow. shot. But I would expect that she's going to come out and start playing again soon. They just had their baby and uh, a beautiful kid. Congratulations. And uh, she's uh, she's going to do the Masters this week. She's going to do the commentary on oh the goodness. Masters oh, that's, this week that's nice. from her house. So. She's a she's a very accomplished young lady. All right, a couple of questions, if you don't mind. Pet, uh, did you have a pet when you were a child? I'm sorry. Did you have a pet? Do a what? pet? Like, did you have a pet when you were a child? No, no pets. Uh, how about um, what? Did you know of any pro sports team when you were a kid that you heard on the radio that you liked besides the boxers? Well, if it would come in on any particular day, um, uh, I, I used to listen to the Cleveland Browns mm. and also the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. If you could get it on the radio, favorite uh, musical group that you like from any time or uh, of all time? Uh, I really don't know, but I, there's one fame. There's one artist who uh, I think is the most underrated artist, George Michael. Uh, nice. I, I just think he is an incredible good. voice. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, I'm a big fan of Barbara Streisand's. Uh, you have a movie that sticks out in your mind? Yeah, Apocalypse Now. Nice. I just watched it actually recently. Um, I got a question for you. You and uh, Michelle, we in a card game of gin. Who wins that one? Well, you know, if she's if she, unless she can't count, she kills me. I probably. <laughs> How about you and her in golf? Um, no contest. Um, would you rather, if you could time travel, go to see Joe Lewis and Max Schmeling fight in the second fight or Jake LaMotta uh, and Sugar Ray Robinson in their third fight when Jake, when Sugar Ray got either, off the deck and beat him? Either, either one would work fine. I have one um, last question. Do you, um, you make the shot at the end of your book? Because I love that story about all of the guys from all of the time that joined together and play. Uh, at Madison Square Garden, that's a fun story. Who, me? Yeah, you make that shot at the end? Of course. Okay, good. I'm glad. So it was a good pick from uh, Shaq you got, where you rubbed off. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, I just, there's one thing that's really interesting about life. I think uh, regardless of where you come from, uh, regardless of the sport and everything, so much of life's um, success is based on what's inside of you. Uh, you can overcome any obstacles. Everyone's going to run into a lot of walls. And the people who find a way to get through that wall are going to get to the top of the mountain. But once you get to the top of the mountain, it's dangerous. You see another mountain over there, but look over your shoulder, and here's some very competitive people coming after you. So mm-hmm. you just, you can't continue in this world unless you have goals. Mm-hmm. And I've always had goals in my life. Shows. Chose, thank you for your time. Thank you. It was very nice of you. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. 
If you haven't already, make sure to check out the other three episodes. Join us next week as we bring you the full interview with Jerry West, Uninterrupted. Thanks for watching and listening. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is produced by Christine Jinbo and me, Marley Rice. Directed by Chris M. Alport with studio support from Alpha Command Unit and shot by bad boy Bobby McCall. Original music courtesy of Lennon Music Production and original images courtesy of Sienna Lennon Photography. A big thank you to all of our contributors. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. You can find us on audio platforms everywhere and the High School Narrative iOS app. You can also view Denny's shows on Roku, Apple TV, and Fire TV. Make sure to press that subscribe button, give us a review, leave a comment. It will really help us grow the show. Hey, you know what else would help us grow the show? Hustle on over to patreon.com slash Denny Lennon to get some never-before-seen videos, pictures, interviews, and more. We are all over social media and constantly sending out clips on Facebook, conducting fun polls on Twitter, going live on Instagram, and more. To find all our social media links, hustle on over to sportsstoriesdl.com. SSDL proudly supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation and the Heroes Movement. The My Stuff Bags Foundation, with the help of thousands of people across the country, provides children in unfortunate situations with new belongings and new hope through its innovative My Stuff Bags program. Heroes Movement is a nonprofit that bridges the gap from therapy to getting strong again through small group workouts for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces for free. Links to how you can support and help these foundations can be found on our website. We want to give a big thank you to our partners of the show. So, as Coach Lennon would say, any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email me, Marley, at info at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Sports Stories thanks all of our followers and listeners. And we will, we will see, see you, you next time. time. Hey, thanks, Marley. Thanks, Chris. Hi. Besides all this wind in my face, I really love to watch Sports Stories with Danny Lennon. He's my top dog. Oh, did I say dog? Oh, man. Meow. I'm just a little kitty cat. <laughs> Kick it out, book.